0: Hello and welcome to the Sydney Ideas podcast, To The Point, where we take a short and focused look at an issue. I'm Anna Burns, Public Programs Manager. We're looking specifically at mental health and how the current situation we find ourselves in with COVID-19 is impacting on that. Professor Ian Hickey is co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre here at the University of Sydney. He is a leading public mental health expert.
1: This is a major threat, not just to the physical health of our societies, but to our mental health and our fundamental social fabric. So we need to be really smart right now. We need to know what we know and make use of it. There's good evidence about what will work, where the threats are, and what we can do to maintain our mental health and well-being, to maintain our social fabric as we deal together with this crisis. You know, in mental health, there are two really big things that drive good mental health. One's personal autonomy. One's being able to be in control of your life by knowing what risks are, threats are, taking appropriate actions to minimize the risk. The other is social connection. Humans are social beings, we are social animals. We're, We're physically close, we're intimate, we take care of that. And if we have strong social connection, we also thrive. In this situation, both of those fundamental pillars of mental health as individuals and as groups are under threat. Can we take good actions individually that make us feel not helpless, but able to respond appropriately as the threat develops, and it's changing constantly. But we take actions. We don't panic. We don't become helpless. We don't become actually frozen by fear. We actually act appropriately individually. The second is, when faced with physical isolation, which may be required, how do we increase social connection? So rather than talking about social isolation, I'd rather talk about physical disconnection, and therefore, how do we more socially connect with those we care about the most, our family and kin, but those in whom we share our environment, whether it's the block of flats you live in, the workplace you go to, the school you attend, the local cafe, the walk up the street or the park. How do you be part of that community that you all behave in a way that promotes the good health and wellbeing of everybody as we collectively respond to this crisis? What I'd really like to see is governments, us, communities, using the best information, to take the best actions every single day as the situation rapidly changes.
0: One of the first things is that careful distinction you've made around physical distance and social isolation. And that brings to mind how we're we're speaking about things and how things are spoken about on social media, why our language is and how our language is playing into how we're feeling.
1: There's language and there's concepts and there's communication. So unfortunately, the term self-isolation or self-isolates come into being. What we should have said and probably quickly should correct is physical isolation, cutting down the number of physical contacts, because that's really hard. As humans, we thrive on hugs and kisses and intimacy and being close with people. So that's actually really hard to do. And unless you're going to compensate for that by actually more use of technology to talk more often, to connect more often, to share more often, That isn't going to work. People aren't going to follow that because intuitively runs against what we do as humans when we're scared, when we're afraid, we huddle together, we stay close physically as well as uh, socially. So the language is important. The second issue about helplessness, if you tell people to do things, but it's not what people are doing, it's counterintuitive. If you tell them there's going to be a crisis, but don't hoard. If you tell them actually you should separate out from everybody else, but you shouldn't and have the provisions to do it you know if you just tell people what to do and they don't trust the information or the information's inconsistent with what they can see in the worldwide situation they're not going to do it people need information so they can have agency so they can act individually and collectively with the best possible response we've seen this In, for example, the bushfire situation with things like fires near us, the apps and the information that tell you whether you're at immediate risk so that you can take appropriate actions yourself locally. So in this situation, where are the actual hubs of viral infection? Where are the biggest particular issues? If you go to New South Wales Health at the moment, you'll see the situation in Northern and Eastern Sydney is not the same as in other places and probably radically different to Adelaide or Melbourne or regional parts of Australia. So you need information that people can make use of You need to encourage agency, which at the personal level, okay, what do I need to do? Do I have people in my world? Do I have a grandparent that I live with? Am I pregnant? Are there people in my apartment block that I care about? Are there people in my local school that I care about? Who are the people that we need to think of? Not just how do I personally get infected or not, or survive or not? Am I in a rest group individually? But the social network, the social fabric that I'm part of, so that it can stay safe. Not just bend the curve for the nation, Bend the curve for my community. Give me the access, the information, the tools. Don't tell people what to do. Enable them to take productive social and personal actions.
0: So this is a pandemic in a time of social media. Thinking about information, agency, connections, where we're getting information from, there are a lot of conversations that are happening, but you're sort of saying we're not really having the right conversations. We're not really sharing the right information.
1: People need to know timeframes, possibilities. They need to come to terms with what we'll do. If we are shorter healthcare workers or healthcare workers need to have childcare provided for, what can we do? Let the community respond. Let people work out ways to problem solve. People don't panic. They don't behave badly. They don't behave antisocially when they're responding productively and usefully. When they believe, and it's probably true, that they're doing things that are promoting the best possible chance for the group. People do care about the group and you care to the extent to which governments and other agencies are facilitating that. So governments can do things like close the borders. Governments can't get your local community to actually act in a productive way unless they provide those individuals and those groups with the agency to act and the information to act smart. We don't all need to be told a thousand times to wash our hands or to have a beige ad come after the seven o'clock news, wash your hands and don't sneeze on others. This doesn't tell you whether to take public transport tomorrow. It doesn't tell you whether to go to a local cafe. It doesn't tell you what you do. If you've got mild symptoms and you knew someone who went overseas and you're not sure whether you may be sick or not, it doesn't provide you with the real information that informs action that is sensible. If you enable, really smart communities to act in the appropriate ways, they will make the appropriate responses. If you just top-down tell people what to do, but you don't model it, nothing will change.
0: There's a sense of uncertainty and precariousness that stems from the lack of trust and lack of insight and scenario planning. You've made some big points there, but on a granular level, how can we as individuals take back a bit of agency and be constructive in this time rather than just being?
1: We need to listen to the information that's helpful. There are marvellous examples at the moment through the national broadcaster through ABC of lots of questions getting answered in particular ways. Take the information that's relevant. Police like New South Wales Health, I must say to their great credit, has produced a New South Wales Health map, which actually has districts, not just a national map, and clearly shows that Northern and Eastern Sydney at the moment actually are different to other places. So the actions in there, those communities need to know. They are reporting higher cases. They're having deaths already in ways the rest of the country isn't. So they're probably further along the curve other people. They need to take much more immediate actions now. Australians are really good at volunteering. What they need is the organisational structures to support that to happen locally. People will give their services. People are concerned. Our social fabric historically has been very strong. Many of us worry in recent years it may have been seriously undermined by divisive politics and international anti-globalisation, anti-community separatism. This is a test. It's also an opportunity, in fact, to put that social fabric back together if it has degraded over recent years. Allows communities to be active but provide them with the tools. So we all, in one sense, and you see this happening, many of the organisations I'm associated with in the private sector and other sectors, they are not listening to the central government. They have already taken actions. They introduced travel restrictions. They introduced home-based work. They introduced alternative work teams two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, they're not waiting for some rather obscure bureaucratic process called the medical advice behind another committee's, which is otherwise faceless and not really explaining to act. They're actually acting now they're acting in real time. So we need those really good information sources to actually link with the community, not try and tell the community what to do, not for the community to wait every day until a press release comes from Canberra, which doesn't really apply in your backyard. (laughs) So, You know, this is where, in fact, the information age is a godsend. You can see a lot of the information out there. You've got really smart, actually trusted health communicators who are already in the media and science communicators providing the best possible answers, and they'll change. So, you know, it's it's no good governments and others saying one thing one day and being absolutely dogmatic one day, and then three days later saying the reverse. That just undermines trust. It's better to say there is uncertainty. There is uncertainty. On balance, we're trying to provide the particular things. On balance, what is happening? We need to learn what has happened in the west of the world. We need to see the extent to which Europe did not take notice of what was going on in Asia and was caught out. It was a far eastern place. It was someone very far away. And it wouldn't happen in exceptional places like Europe and the UK. Well, guess what? It did. Australia, living in the Asia Pacific, at least early on, and I must say to the um, credit of the government, moved quickly on travel bans in the asia pacific interestingly it did not move on travel bans in europe and still hasn't moved specifically on the usa which is which is really interesting culturally as to what's going on but at least we have the advantage of a few weeks perhaps maybe a week maybe two weeks behind those things so we've got to learn quickly and so independent i'd suggest of you know more advice to wash your hands more is actually okay okay what is your community doing how as you work from home, disconnect more physically, don't have as much physical contact with people, do you do the opposite? Socially connect and make decisions together about what happens. You know, how can you support? Do you know people who are very isolated, older people who are close to you? Do you know people who need to be supported, people who've got existing illnesses, people who've got are receiving chemotherapy currently for cancer? You know, these are all of our families, these are all of our communities. It's not a matter whether I happen to be in the at-risk group or I'll just have a mild illness or not. You know, it's the people we care about. That is a very strong motivator for humans to engage in pro-social actions.
0: On that point of engaging in pro-social actions and thinking about the people that you care about, the other part of this, the unsettling part of this situation is the lack of timelines and the lack of insight which is impacting on people's ability to plan. What's this gonna mean for the economy and for people's jobs, which is of course another huge player for mental health.
1: So the short term is the immediate, do I get infected, what happens? But immediately what we have of course is an economic crisis. So this is where the inequities, those who are really at risk, no point in telling those people who are on casual employment, those in gig economies, those who just got laid off in tourism or hospitality or other areas not to worry, You know, they've got to pay the rent next week. They've got to purchase goods next week. They've got bills to pay next week. You know, those issues, and they've got great uncertainty about the extent to which those industries will recover in any particular form. So let's be really clear here. Economic recessions kill the vulnerable. Rates of suicide, accidental death, lack of access to healthcare go up. If we have an economic depression, then rates of suicide and other self-harm dramatically go up family violence goes up domestic violence goes up we've seen from previous economic downturns the impact of that on the young the impact of those on the disadvantaged the impact of those with mental illness so you're probably talking you know really big numbers 20 30 percent of society who are really vulnerable economically who are immediately impacted they have great reason to worry people telling them not to worry would be the most unhelpful thing that people can do and they have real issues they will fall back not only on government which is the critical role of government but on families on communities on people we can support the danger is those people with resources grab all their resources about themselves and hold on with them and don't behave as part of communities in order to protect so the other issue here is economically as well as socially the sharing of resources encouraging people now you see in the community's response to the bushfires people will give they'll give money they'll give resources they will connect Australians are generous historically when they understand the effectiveness of that and to make sure that the money and the resources are done effectively. So to thinking about that, how do you provide food, resource, childcare, aged care, other services that are valuable? So these issues in terms of the mental health impacts, the short term is dramatic. The longer term tend to be prolonged and severe, particularly if they're not well managed in the first instance.
0: So what's the most important thing for us to keep in mind?
1: It's social cohesion that really matters. I I do have an intrinsic belief, but I'm a bit worried at the moment, that Australia has a strong social fabric. Everything we do that promotes the appropriate pro-social responses, while we're physically isolated, we get closer together, emotionally, if not physically, will have profound impacts on the mental health consequences and probably the physical health and economic consequences.
0: A good rallying cry and a nice way to end. Thank you so much, Professor Ian Hickey. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast. For more information, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney hyphen ideas. It's where you'll find the transcript for this podcast and our contact details if you'd like to get in touch with a question or feedback. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss a new episode. Search for Sydney Ideas on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Finally, we want to acknowledge that this podcast was made in Sydney, which sits on the land of the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. It is upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built.